Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, stricter measures are introduced in some regions as the third wave of COVID infections takes hold. Everywhere in Quebec, we have to be more careful. With the variant, we can see an explosion of cases within a few days. We're ready to act quickly and strongly if the situation worsens in, these, in other regions. The federal government invests in domestic vaccine production. And I'm pleased to announce, uh, on behalf of the government of Canada, that we are partnering with Sanofi with an investment of $415 million in this very strategic investment that will have an impact for generations to come. And Aaron O'Toole says carbon pricing isn't the way to fight climate change. It is clear that Canadians want us to address climate change. I want us to address climate change and have a serious plan to reduce emissions over a predictable time frame, while also making sure our economy is competitive. It's Thursday, April the 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us. Morning, Mark. Let's talk about where we stand in the fight against the coronavirus. I think as April begins, a lot of people thought at this point we would be in a better place. There are a lot of people being vaccinated in the country. There are more vaccines on the way. The government has talked about domestic vaccine production. That's for later, of course. But these are all good signs. And yet, the number of infections has risen in many parts of the country recently, and we're talking about lockdowns and further restrictions in places like Ontario. So it's not going as well as people had hoped at this point. So where do we stand at the moment? Well, that's a good question. I'm not really sure of the answer. My former colleague, uh, Maura Forrest, wrote in Politico this week a spoof enactment of, of various press conferences that have been held recently. And... You know, a brief snippet of it. She said, you know, here's somebody from Health Canada saying the good news is we've all four, four of the vaccines we've approved are safe for use. And somebody from the National Advisory Committee on Immunisation saying, just don't take the AstraZeneca shot if you're under 55. And a reporter saying, don't you mean over 65? And the Committee on Immunisation saying, no, that was last week's advice. Please keep up. I mean, I think people are totally confused about what's going on. I think they're totally fed up which is reflected in the, the, the dialogue that's now being held between the uh, the provinces and the federal government. I mean, Doug Ford, the Ontario Premier, yesterday saying, you know, we, we got 809,000 doses less than we thought we were going to get in March. It was critical of the federal government. He, he said it's a joke. Um, but, uh, Justin Trudeau, the, the uh, Prime Minister, pushing back last night on that comment, saying we've got somewhere around 3 million more doses by the end of March than we thought we were going to get. So how, how can you re- reconcile those two numbers? We're suddenly, Ford says we're a million short, to say we've got 3 million more than we should have, than we were going to get. You know, I think people are just completely bamboozled by what is going on. They look to the UK and the US and they see their contemporaries and neighbours and family members getting vaccinated. All they know is that for the vast majority of them, they are not, that the third wave numbers are rising. And, you know, I think this is a brew for discontent. I think probably uh, the federal government at least will be okay because it's got so many vaccines uh, coming due that, you know, even if a couple of them are, are, uh, are late or delayed or whatever, 
they will probably get the supply that uh, that they've promised. But it is a real mess right now, and I think people are just getting whiplash. Yeah, and what do you think about what that means for the prospect of a spring election, which a couple of weeks ago was looking more likely, now perhaps less so? And I know uh, there, there's also... Uh, the various committee meetings that were held this week and the, the opposition putting pressure on the government over the We Charity controversy and and some some elements of that are part of the mix as well when you consider whether or not we're headed towards a spring election. It does feel less likely now, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, you're right. The, the, the government, I think, has created the conditions where it could find an excuse to have an election. These committee meetings are, are <laughs> uh, to watch them is to shake your head and wonder about politics. The, the one on Monday with the ethics committee, it was on the We Charity case, and the committee wanted to hear from a senior member of staff in the Prime Minister's office. Uh, instead, Pablo Rodriguez, the government house leader, turned up. And really they were inquiring about a 25-minute co- phone conversation held between uh, this individual, Rick Teese, and a member of the We Charity. A call which obviously Rodriguez was not on and didn't know anything much about and couldn't really answer. So his, his, his answers ranged from no to I don't know to I don't think so. This despite the fact that the, the opposition parties had united and taken this issue to the floor of the House of Commons and had a vote on it to say we either want these senior advisors to come forward on the WE issue and on the sexual misconduct in the military issue, or Justin Trudeau to appear at these committees. The, the Liberals are simply ignoring that, uh, that uh, request, seemingly to me in contempt of Parliament. I mean, we had an election on this issue in 2011 when the Conservatives were found to be in contempt of Parliament. Michael Ignatiev brought forward an, an issue of no, uh, a motion of no confidence, which the, the opposition parties united to defeat the government, and we went to the polls. So the conditions are there for the Liberals to bait the opposition to, to hold them in contempt, and then they could turn around and say, well, look, we're, we can't uh, run a country like this. But as you point out, I mean, the, the third-wave numbers are such that could you really successfully hold an election in the middle of a, a pandemic where, you know, we're now starting to see younger people being uh, really adversely affected. The infection numbers are up around 5,000 a day and rising. And we're, we're, we've got uh, vaccine issues where they're simply not rolling out as quickly as many people would like them to. So I agree with you. I think that um, the way that, uh, that the Newfoundland election, we saw that was disrupted by, yeah. by the pandemic. I think a federal election would similarly be disrupted. And while the conditions might be there for the Liberals to call one, I don't think they will. I think we're probably going to wait until uh, till, uh, after the summer. But i just add one thing. I think that they, they've got to have one uh, for their own good before they start withdrawing financial support. Right. We're going to start seeing that in September. So yeah. uh, you don't want to be holding an election when you're taking money away from people. Yeah, let's talk about finances, because we've got a budget coming up this month, and uh, the parliamentary budget officer said yesterday that we're going to have a deficit in the range of $383 billion, and that some of the stimulus spending the government is talking about isn't necessary. Um, So uh, what do you think about how that uh, affects all of what you've just talked about? Right, well, I, I mean, that report revealed that somewhere around $48 billion 
will be spent in the coming fiscal year on COVID measures. That's that's the the year from um, uh, from today, actually, from right. April first. You know, the, the, that's obviously far less than the the, the two hundred odd million that was were spent uh, in the uh, in the year just past. It's money that's still being spent on wage subsidies and so on, and that will that will probably come off by the by the looks of it, unless the government renews it at the end of September. But um, the news from the from the parliamentary budget office was surprisingly upbeat. I think the deficit is obviously going to be a whopper. Um, 364.4 billion was what his estimate was, which is 16.5 percent of GDP. But he's, the the budget officer sees the levels of employment returning to pre-pandemic levels by the end of this year, unemployment coming down to pre-pandemic levels by the end of next year, galloping economic growth of 5.6 percent this year, and uh, and although the debt to GDP ratio reaches 50 percent, which is a, a level we haven't seen in in two decades. It's sustainable because debt servicing costs are obviously at uh, record low levels. The one thing that he sees imperiling this is the 70 to $100 billion of, of stimulus that the government has promised. And uh, he said if those measures become permanent programs that are financed by deficit, there's a risk that a sustainable debt-to-GDP traje- trajectory uh, could be reversed. There's one other thing which I noted uh, in a column I've written today is you really don't need the stimulus for to create a feel-good factor because we have a feel-good factor in the form of rising house prices. Now, they are rising to, to a point where they are unsustainable, um, and the government probably in, the, in the, the budget will want to do something to take the air out of that potential bubble. But if you look at the figures from the Canadian Real Estate Association, prices have increased 17.3% in the year to the end of February. The average house price is now $678,000, which admittedly includes Vancouver and Toronto. But even if you take those markets out of the equation, the average house price is still more than half a million dollars. Right. People are feeling a wealth effect, yeah. in, part because, in part because the government transferred more money than people lost in lost income. Yeah, and, and there's going to be some pent-up demand for travel and, and other things emerging from the pandemic huge, as well. Yeah. Huge pent-up demand, yeah. uh, rock-bottom rock interest rates, and uh, you know people have, have not been able to consume as much as they want. And the savings rate, which was 1.4% yeah. last year of income, it's now 14%. All right, just as we wrap up, John, very quickly, uh, Aaron O'Toole continues to talk about uh, and an explore a potential climate change plan, environmental plan for whenever the next federal election is. But... He continues to uh, talk about how carbon pricing is not the solution. Very quickly, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think uh, he's not been as explicit as saying carbon pricing is not the solution, but he said that uh, a carbon tax or the the current carbon tax is not the answer and that he'll uh, ax that tax. In in an example of Olympian understatement, he said, I think we have to build trust on this plank when he gave a speech the other night, and I think that that is, uh, yeah, he's, there is no trust in what the Conservatives have been promote, proposing on uh, on carbon pricing or on, on the environment. So he has really got to start from base zero. He says he's going to do this by taxing large emitters. It's hard to see how you can get to the Paris target or to zero emissions by 2050, which he's also promised. 
by not taxing Canadians. All right, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great Easter weekend. Thank you much to you and your family. Bye-bye. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Everything's on the table right now, so folks, be prepared. I'm asking you, don't make plans for Easter. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues lockdowns should not be forced on anyone. The Sun writes, COVID-19 has been in Canada for over a year now. It is simply unacceptable that in that time, public health officials have not matured their response beyond simply calling for blunt lockdowns for all residents. Canadians should be empowered to make informed decisions about how to responsibly live their lives. Governments should spend their time focusing on solving the real problems, like protecting the elderly and supporting the medical system. At iPolitics, Gar Party argues the RCMP is too big to succeed. Party writes, In some investigations over the years, there have been references to the overall concept of the RCMP and the enormous range of its responsibilities. There is a loose consensus on the changes needed, but so far no government has had the courage, willingness or foresight to coherently approach this need. In less than two years, the RCMP will celebrate its 150th anniversary. No better tribute can be made to its past than to ensure it is structured to meet the needs of the coming year. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues Ottawa is sleeping on the job when it comes to the rights of gig workers. Mason writes, The debate around gig companies and workers' rights will be arriving in Canada soon. In their 2019 election platform, the federal Liberals promised to enact legislation that would give better protections to gig workers, who number around 700,000, according to the Bank of Canada. The pledge is still to be met. Obviously, the Liberals have not felt any impetus to bring in the legislation they have promised, or they would have done so by now. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Finance Committee continues its hearings into the government's COVID-19 spending this afternoon. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on what to watch for. Mark, the Finance Committee has been pursuing these hearings assiduously for the past few months now, hearing from different groups in Canadian society about how the COVID-19 pandemic has hurt them and how the government's spending or lack of program spending has affected them. One of the recurrent themes which has been heard is uh, from specific sectors who say that they've been waiting and complaining that the government has not yet addressed their particular misfortune caused by the pandemic. Today, those groups appearing before the committee will include tourism associations from Quebec and the Northwest Territories, associations of travel agents, representatives from charities such as the United Way, which have been hard hit in their fundraising efforts, and representatives from Quebec's cultural industries and arts sector. That all starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time before the Finance Committee. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be in private meetings. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Penticton and Wine Country Chamber of Commerce. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will attend the final day of Canada's virtual trade mission to France. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie and Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos will hold a news conference to speak about support for Quebec International. And Public Safety Minister Bill Blair will be joined by Middle Class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier to make a funding announcement about efforts to help survivors of human trafficking. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April the 1st. 
Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast is off for the Easter weekend. We'll return on Tuesday morning. Have a great weekend.